This is VLX number 79, Every Careless Word. We are in Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 to 37. God give you his peace. In nomine Patris Sifiris, Spiritus Santi, Amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris Sifiris, Spiritus Santi, Amen. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So why is Jesus talking about blaspheming today? Well, let's remember two things from the previous sections of Matthew 12. First, St. Matthew applies this line from Isaiah to Jesus, if you remember, in Matthew 12, 18 and 19. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. That's verse 18 and 19 of the same chapter we're in today. So why is that important? Well, it shows that Jesus is so gentle, he really can and should be accepted by anybody. He shouldn't be that hard to be accepted by the Pharisees. It also shows that even though God the Son is a different divine person than God the Holy Spirit, Jesus has an infinite measure of the Holy Spirit. That's going to be important in a minute for what Jesus says is the unforgivable unforgivable sin. And this has to do with misnaming the spirit that is in him, namely the Holy Spirit. Because remember, last week the Pharisees said of Jesus' exorcism work, this was in verse 24, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So they essentially call the Holy Spirit that, unbelievably horrible. And so Christ says, therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Okay, so what is this unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of different answers from the fathers, so it's worth listening to these different answers on Lobby Day, page 579. St. Hilary thinks that blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is when a man denies that Christ is God. The sin against the Holy Ghost, he says, is to deny to God the power of virtue and to take away from Christ his eternal substance by which, because God came into man, man in turn shall be made into God, since God grants pardon to all other things, whilst this only is without forgiveness. St. Ambrose thinks it's schism, also simony, the sin whereby, for example, Simon Magus wished to purchase the Holy Spirit from St. Peter with money in Acts 8. Origen says that every mortal sin after baptism committed, that is, after the grace of the Holy Spirit received in baptism, Moreover, Pope Gelasius understands sinners who are not forgiven either in this world or in the world to come to mean only those who remain sinners and do not wish to come to their senses. For he says that man makes the sentence against himself irrevocable who wills to continue in such a state that he truly cannot be forgiven. St. Cyprian says blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is every sin committed against God, but blasphemy against the Son of Man is every sin perpetrated against man. 
The same St. Cyprian thinks blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is denial of the faith in persecution. Richard of St. Victor says it is to hate and revile God. Lastly, theologians, and from them catechists out of various expositions of St. Augustine, collect six sins against the Holy Ghost, namely presumption, despair, striving against known truth, envy of fraternal charity, impenitence, and obstinacy. They say that these are called sins against the Holy Ghost because they are committed through certain malice against the goodness of God which is attributed to the Holy Ghost. Thus, likewise, sins which are committed through infirmity are said to be done against God the Father because power is appropriated to him, and sins which are done out of ignorance are said to be done against the Son because to him is appropriated wisdom. These things are true, but they do not harmonize with this passage and are impertinent. Note, therefore, that Christ is here speaking not of every sin against the Holy Ghost, but only of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, which is committed by words, nevertheless the same reasoning will apply to thoughts and actions, as, listen up closely, because here's where he finally gets to what he thinks, as when anyone reviles works manifestly divine and miraculous, holy and loving deeds of God, which he performs for the salvation of men, by which he confirms faith and truth. Such a work is the casting out of devils, and because such works proceed from the goodness and holiness of God, they are attributed to the Holy Ghost, who proceeds from the Father and the Son by procession and spiration as love, goodness, and holiness. When, therefore, anyone calumniates such things and knowingly, out of malice, ascribes them to an unclean spirit, as these Pharisees did, he is said to commit blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. So there you have Father Lapide's final answer on what that would be. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So we know, of course, that a sin can be forgiven on earth, but how can a sin be forgiven in the age to come? Why did Jesus just say that? Well, Father Lapide says this, quoting St. Augustine and Pope St. Gregory the Great and St. Bede and St. Bernard and others, quoted by Bellarmine, say that from this passage, there is a purgatory after this life, for it would be meaningless and idle to say, shall not be forgiven him, either in this world nor in the world to come, if there were no remission of sins in the world to come. Moreover, mortal sins are expiated in purgatory so far as pertains to their punishment only, but venial sins as regards to both guilt and punishment. In other words, venial sins can be forgiven in purgatory, but not mortal sins. And this fulfills exactly what we just heard, that there is an age to come where sins can be forgiven. Okay, and then this next line, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Now, wait a minute. Jesus is saying the Pharisees speak good, but they are evil? Or is he saying that they speak evil and they are evil? Well, I think he's saying that the Pharisees who are totally evil can occasionally put their best foot forward to sound pious but eventually the truth comes out. You can only fake it till you make it so long. Ultimately, he is saying, Christ is saying, good people will speak good things and bad people will speak bad things. Now notice, Jesus literally calls the Pharisees evil. He doesn't say they just do evil things or they have reduced culpability because of a mommy wound or a daddy wound. The word in Greek there is ontes, that's the plural participle for being, and then he says, porneroi, and that's the plural for the same word used at the end of the hour, Father, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil. And so he's saying the Pharisees are literally evil here. Porneroi, 
ontes. How can you speak good when you are evil? Of course, everybody out there knows the answer is you can't. The Pharisees blaspheming Christ by calling him that be demon name. Why do they do that? Because they are evil and they get even more evil by blaspheming Christ. It's a vicious cycle. So Christ says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Well, I might gossip too much, but really my heart's very good. Well, not according to Christ. He's saying that the mouth is a window into the heart. The mouth is a direct window into the heart of a man or a woman. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Well, where else do we hear something like this? Well, the pinnacle of goodness. St. Luke writes of Jesus' mother, Mary, in chapter 2, verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. That pondering was contemplation for Mary. For us, we have to start at meditation. It's a little bit lower than contemplation. And that meditation is the key to changing the heart. Do you realize there's actually a Bible verse in the Bible that actually tells us what we should be thinking about all day? It's Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's not just a sweet phrase you might see on a wooden board at Hobby Lobby or something. You know, if we really believe the scriptures are directly inspired by God, the Holy Ghost, and that every sentence, literally every sentence is inerrant, then that right there is a direct command from God what we are to think about. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything worthy of praise, if there's any excellence, think about these things. When we think of everything all day we could complain about in our lives, our families' lives, in the church, you got to pray for me that I practice what I preach on here, of course, we're going directly against Scripture. But if we can think all day about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable or admirable in some translations, then God changes our hearts when we agree to think about these things. And then what changes after that? Our speech. Why? Because if we change our hearts, we change our speech. Or if we give God the opportunity to change our hearts, we change our speech. How do we change our hearts? How do we change our will? Because St. Thomas Aquinas, as I said before, teaches that the Will follows the intellect. So we can change our hearts. God can change our hearts if we're thinking about the right things all day. And Philippians 4 just told us what to think about. And then our speech changes. Why? Because if we change our hearts again, we change our speech. Christ said today, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Okay, a little bit more on words and speech, sins of the tongue. And this next line is really one of the scariest in the Bible if you think about it. Um, again, sometimes this the Bible's in one ear, out the other. It just sounds so pious. But if we really believe the Bible is inerrant as the church teaches, then this next line is pretty scary because Christ is telling us that we're not just going to answer at our particular and our final judgment for the bad words we speak, but even the unnecessary words that we speak. He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words they will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, as you know, I name this VLX number 79. I call it every careless word because we will answer on the day of judgment for every careless word. So let's look at that word careless in the Greek. It's argon. And if you want to write that above the line in your Bible in the Cyrillic alphabet, it would be alpha, rho, gamma, omicron, nu. 
And that Greek word in the Latin alphabet would be A-R-G-O-N, argon, just like number 18 in the periodic table, far right column. The ESV translates argon as careless. Every careless word you're going to answer for, every careless word I speak, I'm going to answer for. The Douay Rhymes and the King James Version, they actually use the same translation for that word. They call it idle, every idle word we're going to answer for. And the NIV translates it as empty, every empty word. Those are all actually excellent translations. I'm not going to take a side on one of those because they're all very, very good translations of that. Um, my Greek dictionaries translate that word argon as unemployed, idle, lazy, careless, ineffective, and useless. So Christ is warning us long before we get to our particular judgment or our final judgment that we're not only going to answer for blasphemy and detraction and calumny, we're even going to answer for superfluous words that are not necessary. Basically, words that are ineffective in building up the kingdom of God, we should avoid. St. Thomas Aquinas writes, quote, An idle word is everyone that lacks usefulness or motive. Therefore, every word is either good or bad. That's St. Thomas Aquinas, first part of the second part, question number 18, quoting Pope St. Gregory the Great. Again, every word is either good or bad. Wisdom chapter 1 verse 11 reads, Beware then of useless murmuring and keep your tongue from slander because no secret word is without result and a lying mouth destroys the soul. No secret word is without result. That's wisdom 11. Sirach 19 verse 7 says, Never repeat a conversation and you will lose nothing at all. That might be a little idiomatic at the end, lose nothing at all from the Greek, and I don't know exactly what it means. But I think we can guess just from connotation, but we know, even from a direct translation of the Greek of that Sirach 19, God is telling us directly in Scripture right there, inerrantly, never repeat a conversation. Last quote from Father Lapide today, This idleness of thoughts, words, and works, as it were, a wastefulness of time and human actions which... Other things being equal is worse than waste of riches and fortune, for a small portion of time has been given us by God, in which to provide for a blessed eternity, and every moment of it we may, by thinking, speaking, and acting well, be acquiring for ourselves the greatest degrees and treasures of glory and blessedness. All which treasures are wasted by this idleness of words and works, as St. Bernard has rightly remarked in his words quoted above. For time once spent idly is irrevocable and irreparable, so that time is far too precious to be spent so idly by so many upon cheap trifling things. How powerful and how beautiful is that, that St. Bernard and Father Lapide are basically saying, wasting our time is worse than wasting our riches because we're only given a limited amount of time to glorify God. Okay, and let's wrap this up with the imaginative way of prayer. Remember that line, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Christ said that today. You might want to memorize it. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Now, usually I don't encourage a meditation that goes on all day. Why? Because it's easy to think, well, I'm just praying all day, so I don't need to pick specific times to pray. That's not true. If you can't pray for 15 minutes, you're not going to pray all day. Uh, but today, I am going to encourage you, of course, those 15 minutes that you normally do. Do those 15 minutes you normally do of mental prayer. But on top of that, I'm going to ask you to picture Jesus next to you in every conversation you have all day whether that's in person, on the phone, at the store, texting. Picture Jesus next to you all day. Not with a lightning bolt, you know, so you fear him. Of course, we're called to fear God, and that should come into our speech for sure. Fear of offending God by our speech. But today, I'm going to ask you to do this, especially out of love of God. Picturing Christ next to you all day in every conversation. With the question, am I going to glorify God if I say this? 
Or the question, am I going to glorify God if I text that? Is the next sentence on the tip of my tongue necessary for the building up of the kingdom? So literally picture if Jesus is going to be physically at your right, or is he at your left, or is he in front of you, or is he behind you? Just pick one of those four, where he is all day, loving you, but also listening to you. How would you talk if Christ was at your right all day long? How would his presence change your speech all day if he was at your left? You picture him physically at your left all day long. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Please say an hour, Father, for me. Et benedictio Deum, nepotentis, patris, et filii, et spiritus sancti, descendit super vos, et maniat semper. Amen.